0: Are you okay there, Steve? Hey, there we are. Right. Well, good morning. I was thinking it's it's both comforting and nerve wracking to speak to your own church. You know, uh, I've had some chances to speak, you know, various places and and even other countries and and that sort of thing, but. Uh, Somehow, being here at home with you is is just a little little different okay let 's see if we can go backwards here. there we are. When I was given the opportunity to speak, I thought, well, I know just what i 'll talk about you know i 'll talk about something that we as a worship team um, talk about and, and pray about virtually before every service and You know, each time that we gather as a worship team, we we pray that uh, the Lord would be with us, of course, that we would experience his presence, uh, that the gifts of his Holy Spirit would flow uh, in the service, that needs would be met. And the scripture, it's, you know, 1 Corinthians 14, you know, it says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one is a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So so I I really was heading in that direction. I, I thought that's what... Um, I'd be talking about, but as I meditated on that, as I prayed about it, as I considered my own life, I thought, well, you know, I think maybe there's something, at least for me, that's more fundamental and, and, and perhaps sort of the, the precursor to that. I think that's still relevant, but, but before we get to that, uh, there's another topic. Are we here? Yeah. Um, the practice of the presence of God. Uh, advice from a 17th century monk, and living a life of expectancy. So uh, uh, the mistakes are mine this morning, but the wisdom is from Brother Lawrence and the scriptures and in and, and other places. Um, my dad was a Presbyterian minister, and he used to before he preached, he he would he would often put in his prayer uh, a phrase that I didn't understand for a long time. It's one of these catchphrases, or you just hear it again and again. And he would say, Lord, uh, and, you know, tacked on to the end. And, Lord, suit, suit a blessing to us here. And it was much later that I realized what he was saying. He was saying, Lord, I, I've prepared something. I'm ready to, to do my thing. But, Lord, you su- suit a blessing. You you." choose something you 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 customize what i'm about to say and i'm about to do customize it to each person here and so as we pray i i think the lord can do that you know i've i've got my notes and this kind of thing but i I really believe that it's it's no accident that you and i are here this morning but he's called us here at this particular morning this time because he wants to do something he wants to do something in your life and in, in my life he wants to speak to you so so, Lord, we come to you uh, this morning expectantly, Lord, expecting you uh, to speak to us, Lord, through these scriptures, through these quotes, through these other things, Lord, that you would suit a blessing. Lord, we came this morning and you, you know what we need. Lord, you know what's on our hearts. You know what we need to encourage us, to guide us, to, to motivate us, to uh, draw us to yourself. So, Lord, we we come to you expectantly this morning. Lord, help me to, to do my job this morning. Help me to speak plainly and to uh, communicate clearly uh, what you'd have to say. So we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, it was encouraging to me as I thought about these issues to, to consider how this is really in the flow of the sermons we've heard over the last couple of months. You know, I think particularly of, of Jim Grinnell's sermon a couple of weeks ago about our personal relationship with the Lord, and and, and Bill's sermon about a pure devotion uh, to uh, to the Lord, and, and and right understanding of things. Um, just several one, several uh, sermons, same line. Well, here here's the idea. In fact, here's the whole premise of the sermon. The whole deal. Here it is. It is possible, day by day to live with a constant awareness of the nearness of God and that as we continually turn our hearts toward Him, we can live expectantly, expecting Him to speak to us, expecting to receive comfort, guidance, and joy. We can expect to see changes in our lives and we can expect Him from time to time to interfere with the natural order of things for his glory and to meet human needs. Okay, there's the whole deal. In fact, we could, I won't send you home just yet, you know, but um, it is possible, where are we? Oops. One more time. It is possible to live day by day with a constant awareness of the nearness of God and that as we continually turn our hearts toward him, we can live expectantly expecting him to speak to us, expecting to receive comfort, guidance, and joy. We can expect to see changes in our lives, and we can expect him from time to time to interfere with the natural order of things for his glory and to meet human needs. So that's what we'll look at this morning. Uh, in the 1930s, or early part of the, the 20th century um, there was a Chinese believer who came to prominence, and he was a Bible teacher and uh, traveled through Anhui province and um, uh, established churches. His name was Sheng, and uh, he did a lot of, you know, Bible teaching. One, one particular series he taught on the book of Romans, and this uh, teaching in, in the book of Romans is, is just tremendously uh, uh, motivating, and, and he... He talks about not only the theology of Romans, but what happens in a believer's life when we really grasp what it is that the Lord has done for us, the sufficiency of life in Christ and and, and uh, living in him day by day. Just tr- a tremendous book. So this this teaching was gathered. I don't think he actually did this, but some other people, his, he even traveled to England and to Europe for a while, gathered this together and, and put this with some other things in, in book form. And... The result was this book called The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. He took on that that name. And this is a great book. You know, you may be familiar with it. But th- uh, through the years, I-, I guess I would have to say it's not just the book itself, but it's, it's the title of the book alone that has really spoken to me and, and spoke to me as I was thinking about these things, that this thing that he describes is actually the normal christian life and to be honest with you and with myself i'd have to say well according to this i've lived much of my christian life subnormal uh, really not laying hold of and grasping fully what it is that the lord has for me his grace toward me what it really means to to belong to to him that that I just have not uh, been aware of the possibility of the ongoing communication with him communion with him day by day. So that's kind of our theme this morning to look at this this normal Christian life and and what's involved with this. Well, first thing I think we'd have to to consider is you know how how do we know this is normal? I mean, you know really, he's this, you know, giant of the faith and this sort of thing and and you know, maybe it's Maybe this is something was just you know, a, a time in church history, you know, for, for the book of Acts or maybe kind of periods of revival and, and that sort of thing. Well, I think that we can see kind of what's normal um, by looking at the scriptures, first of all. Then we'll also look at the experiences of Christians uh, through the ages, uh, that the normal Christian life can actually consist of an unbroken awareness of the nearness of God and communication with him, so let 's start with with scriptures now, even before we go to the scriptures, so if, if this were a book, this would be one of those little sidebars, of course, I deal with textbooks all the time you know there 's a little colored bar on the side you know with this little this little thing in it so this is a this is a sidebar, and that is i 'll just have to speak for myself sometimes I read scriptures or I hear people talking about things, and something kind of inside me says well okay but that's not for you you know this is that's for somebody else who's a little more spiritual and and i i realize as i examined these things that that sometimes i've kind of had an idea that there's that some people have kind of a spiritual talent if you know what i mean you know if if, you, if you've seen somebody or, or know people or you observe them and they just the spiritual stuff this christianity just kind of seems to Come easy to them, you know. Uh, it just, uh, it, it's like they've got a talent for it. It's like, you know, you're good at math, or you can draw, or you're good at music or something. You know, this, you've got a high spiritual IQ, you know. But, you know, some of us, you know, just not so much, you know. Well, you know, that's just wrong. You know, it's just, it's just wrong, you know. And, and there are a couple of scriptures that make that really clear. Um, this is the scripture we'll come back to. Jeremiah 31 Great whole whole passage about the new covenant and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest declares the Lord. So so it's clear that it's 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 for you it's for me it's for all of us it's not just them. It's not someone else saying, here, let me tell you about these insights I have about the Lord. Know the Lord. Let me tell you this special knowledge, this special experience I have. No, he says all of us. And then this, which may be, I don't know, I don't know if it's one of, I don't know if it's my favorite scripture, but, but to me, this is one of the most profound and short, I can memorize this one, portions of scripture uh, in, in, in the whole Bible Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That, that's just remarkable. I mean, that, that, that's a blanket statement. It just, it's just, it just says what it says. And, and what this means is there are no limitations. Uh, you know, there's, there are no qualifiers here. Just r- right there, you know, in, in print. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. There, there are no limitations on this, and I don't know about you, but in, but in my life, you know, I'm, I'm so aware of, of limitations. You know, I can you know I can practice guitar until Jesus comes. I'm not going to play like Segovia. I'm not going to give enough up. i playing like Eric Clapton. You know, I'm not gonna, you know I'm just, I'm just I'm not going to play like Tom. You know, so it's just not going to happen. You know, there are just a lot of things. I have a lot of limitations. There are things that I just can't do no matter what, and that's just. The way it is, and and you are the same way, but the Lord says there are no limitations here. Um, he says, "Draw near to me; I'll draw near to you." Here, here's another one. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus says, "If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me." Now, this is a great salvation scripture, and that's that's appropriate. But when you look at it in the context, it's actually written to believers. It's written to to one of the churches, one of the seven churches, and so Jesus is standing at the door and says, uh, "I'm knocking." Okay, so all you have to do is open the door, and I will come in. Not not if you're if you're smart enough, if you're if you're good enough, if you're if you know the Bible well enough, if you're you know too old, too young, you know none of these things. He he said, "If you hear my voice, open the door. I'll I'll come in," and uh, one. One commentator says, and if you if you've read this verse, you know, if you've heard this verse, you've heard the door. You know, there there it is. Um, I mean, it's, it's clear that not everybody has the same function and and different people are in leadership, certainly. And, and it's true. Some people are more spiritually mature than others. Some people know the Bible better than others. But but those are decisions essentially that that we make and 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 position in terms of visibility or ministry, those kind of things, that's not at all the same thing as my personal relationship to the Lord and my fellowship with him and my understanding of him and my communion with him there there are no limits on that there there's There's nothing putting a limit on that um, i don't know if you've ever had this feeling that somehow you you kind of sneaked into the kingdom of God, you know somehow god wasn't looking it's like you know he's checking the receipts or the commitment cards at the end of the day whoa look at that name you know how'd you how'd you get here you know that that kind of thing um that oh dang well you know well okay you prayed the sinner's prayer you know that's how the system goes i've got to let you in okay you know here you are you know so there you are but i don't have to like you you know you know i've you're in but you know because salvation is you know is is the system that it is well you know uh, apparently, uh, I don't know. I've certainly felt that way. Maybe perhaps you have. And apparently that is something that is, is fairly common, uh, among Christians because Jesus himself and the apostles keep telling people that they were chosen. I mean, again and again, it's, you know, why do you, why do you, why do you have to keep telling someone that they, that I chose you? You didn't choose me. I chose you. Uh but because they feel like maybe they don't belong. So these feelings of I somehow kind of sneaked in, you know, or I don't quite belong in this, in this group of people that you're calling the church or the saints or the holy ones. I don't, I, don't, I don't fit here. Well, apparently, we all feel that way at some time, and so we get just so many encouragements that we're chosen. This is just one, Colossians 3.12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So uh, you can just, you know, so that's just the sidebar. So can, you can settle in your heart that this is for you. These, these scriptures about drawing near to God and him having fellowship, uh, it's, it's for you, it's, it's for me. Okay, so let's look at some scriptures about this specifically. We'll start, start at the beginning, Genesis 3. And um, of course, this is the this is the tragic story of the fall. And when 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 we read this, usually, of course, we're focusing on oh no, Adam and Eve. Here it is. You know, here's where all our, our problems started. Right here. You know. And uh, but when you look through this chapter, there are y- y- you have to kind of look at the context. But when you when you see what's going on here, uh, you you've got. God coming to the garden it says, "Here he is in the cool of the day," and uh, so he was coming to be with Adam and Eve, and apparently that was the routine, that was the normal event. So every day or whatever I don't know, but on a but on a regular basis, God comes to the garden. He he shows up, and because uh, Adam and Eve, you know, they did the fig leaves and all that because they knew he was coming. Okay, so so just just think of that though that's the routine god shows up to talk to adam and eve and i suppose to walk through the garden with them and 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 to be with them and you know not very long ago um maybe i should have thought of this earlier i'm sure you did but but nobody made god do that you know uh, god simply chose to do that and and this is this is terrible but the thing that came to my mind is you know when when the parent says to the kid you know i bought you that puppy you better take care of it you know that kind of thing or or okay you've got these goldfish you better feed them you know i mean god is god he didn't have to show up in the garden you know he didn't have to be with adam and eve he could just make them and kind of watch the whole thing play out but but somehow and i i can't fathom this you know but somehow god chose to be with Adam and Eve and uh, he could make Adam and Eve and he did make Adam and Eve and, and all of us in such a way that we can choose to be with him so we start out with that at the beginning and then as you go through just a few chapters later Genesis 5 says Enoch walked with God you know that's a great scene and this is, and he and he was no more you know uh says also Genesis 6 Noah walked with God um Later, a couple of other places in Scripture in James, but then in Isaiah 41, Abraham is described as being a, a friend of God. So uh, at this point, though, it seems to be kind of just a few people, you know, a few special people in Scripture. But then if we go back to the Scripture in, in uh, Jeremiah 31 that we looked at a minute ago, so you go from this sort of exclusive kind of a few people walking with God to it looks like there's something new in the works here, you know, and Jeremiah alludes to it where he says, and, and no longer, again, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, each his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I'll forgive their iniquity, I will remember their sin no more. So, so something's about to change here, this aspect of fellowship with the Lord and, and walking with him. And in fact, um, when we go ahead then, we, we jump ahead to, to this new covenant as it's being inaugurated to the New Testament. John 10, and I think uh, Jim Grinnell referred to this scripture a couple of weeks ago. John 10, uh, verses 3 and 4, Jesus is describing the good shepherd. And he said, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So not only does the shepherd know the sheep, but the the sheep know the shepherd. That means that they've they've been around the shepherd long enough and and the sheep have the capability, you know, to recognize the sh- their shepherd's voice. And apparently, you know, the way things were done is is herds kind of mingled, you know, and but but different shepherds would would call their sheep And just, you know, the different herd, you know, my sheep come with me, your sheep go with you, you know, and and they're separated because they know his voice. So that's a sheep and shepherd. A little bit later, a few few chapters later in John 15, there is a, a, a different metaphor. This is what Jesus says. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So um, this is a, a pretty uh, dramatic switch in metaphors here. You know, from sheep to shepherd to to vine and branch. And it's just, it's hard to imagine a, a relationship that is this closer and just tighter than the vine and the branch. And here's the branch, part of the vine, getting all its life, all its direction, all that it needs uh, from, from this vine. It just flows in, into this. So Jesus is calling us just to the, uh, I, I can't imagine, you know, a, a closer kind of, of connection than he has here um, here's another sidebar if i could step over here's another little panel on the side here uh, i would encourage you to go back and, and look at this scripture look at this passage but when you when you look at this when you read the whole thing you're going to encounter something um, and that is the very next verse which says if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as, excuse me, I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And I just have to tell you here from, from my own experience, uh, this is a passage that through the years I've, 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 I've looked at this passage, oh, you know, and, you know, Andrew Murray wrote a book on abiding Christ and, you know, all this sort of thing, but... You know, I, I, I've struggled with this passage because because I'm I'm reading along and I just this is how I've read it. I'm reading along. Jesus is calling us to himself. He's saying, abide in me. Uh, I'll I'm, I'll I'll move through you. You know, I'll give you life. There'll be fruit. I mean, this it's just this wonderful invitation right in the middle of this is the is the promise about it. And if, and if you ask anything, you know, I will do it. You know, here here's the thing. But then, man, just right in the middle of this, I get hammered with obedience. You know, and it's like, what? You know, that's no. You know, I just I'm I'm reading this, and and I, and Nancy and I were talking about this last night. You know, you kind of get this picture of you know the the child, you know, sort of snuggles in with the parent, you know, and the parent says, oh, "I really love you, and and you know, don't you know I'll do anything for you, and you better do what I tell you to." It's like. Well, whoa, that 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 didn't fit, you know. So, so, Lord, what what are you doing here, you know? And uh, and and so I'm just being honest. So I've struggled with this, you know. And, and this, you know, you, you got your you got your invitation to abide, but then you've got your do what I tell you to, you know. Well, I think the problem is 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 at least I've had the wrong understanding of what the Lord is saying here, and my sense of what He means by obedience and what He's getting at here is. Is, is just kind of filtered through my own tendencies toward legalism and rule setting and and stuff like that. Here's, you know, th- this, is, this is dangerous, but I'm going to kind of sort of paraphrase. I, I think this is sort of the message here. So Jesus, I think this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He's saying, um, come close to me. I'm the vine, and just like a branch is connected into the vine, That's how closely you can be and and should be connected to me. Stay connected, and just like a real vine, you will bear fruit, and God the Father will be glorified by the outcome. Stay close to me, and you'll experience my love. Now, I understand, Jesus says, this kind of relationship because all my life I've listened to the Father, and I've laid down my will for his will. I've done what he told me to do, and I, I live, I constantly live in, and I'm constantly aware of his love. Well, you and I, Jesus says, can have that same relationship. Just do the things I'm telling you to do. Lay down your will. You'll live in my love. You'll experience it all the time. You know? So, um, you know, obedience is is not just following rules. Um, Obedience is, first of all, and, and just most fundamentally acknowledging that you're God and I'm not. You know, you, you made this universe, you made the human race, you, know, you, you made everything, and you have very specific ideas about how it's supposed to work. And so I'm going to do it your way. As some people said, you know, I'm, I'm going I'm to read the owner's manual. Actually, go follow the instructions, read the owner's manual. So, so that's what obedience is obedience also another way of looking at it is 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 God is going down a specific path I mean he has a route to take that his character goes and, and leads us down that route and and as his character takes him down a certain path uh, it avoids certain things It encounters other things and the Lord is simply saying if if you're going to walk with me well this this is the way I'm going I'm, I'm going this way you know and if you're over there, you're simply not with me. And it's just as simple as if you're going to be on this path going this particular way, then you're going to uh, walk with me. If you're doing your own thing, well, you're you're over there. So it's it's a path. Another thing that, that makes sense to, to me, perhaps some of us, it's it's like, you know, it's like the Lord is the you know, the, he's the heavenly composer. You know, he's written this wonderful symphonic rich remarkable piece of music and you know i get saved and lo and behold i find whoa i've got a part written in here hey i've got you know i'm I'm in the score whoa you know and so but you know he's he's written this music and he's got this score he has the music written down uh his orchestra is tuned to a 440 and here's the tempo and here's you know he's the conductor and so if I'm going to be part of it, well, I need to put my music down, I need to read my music, I need to follow the conductor, you know, I need to, you know. Now, I can do this other thing. I mean, I can I can do my thing over here, but I won't be doing what he's he's doing. So so obedience is it's not just um it's not rules, you know. Um uh, when i focus on obedience i just fall so quickly into legalism it's just me you know i guess but it's just like you know it's like did i do enough you know you know if if abiding in you did, did i did i do enough to abide in you you know cuz i don't want to do too much more than i have to you know so i want to you know but i i want to i want to get in there i want to be good enough to abide but not you know anyway so um but uh, You know, mentioned a few minutes ago. You know, Adam and Eve, of course, and then Noah walked with God. Enoch walked with God. Abraham walked with God. You know, it wasn't until later that the law came. So I don't know. I mean, what rules did Adam and Eve follow? You know, where well, there was, you know, of course we know one rule they didn't follow. But but later, Enoch and 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 uh, and Noah. You know, says Noah was a righteous man. Well. Somehow, that's something about relationship with God because the law had not yet been given. So he wasn't following rules. He was acting in conformity with with God's character. And and I think this is the, the main point here, that obedience is not an end in itself. God's not, in one sense, after obedience. He's after relationship. Say it one more time. Obedience is not an end in itself. God is not after obedience in and of itself. God is after a relationship. And obedience is the means to that end. And I find when when I see it that way, it just, it's a game changer for me. It, it, It changes everything. Oh, it's not... You know, I, I'm not earning brownie points. I'm not, you know, whatever. I'm not trying to balance out good things and bad things and all the legalistic kind of things we, we do. It, God is after a relationship with me, and, and obedience is the way to do this. C.S. Lewis, I think it's in uh, Mere Christianity. I couldn't find the quote. But, but he says, you know, that everything we do in life, we're either turning toward God or away from God. And that, that i just tossed that out. That really makes sense to me, you know. The decisions I make moment by moment, I'm either, either turning toward the Lord or I'm, or I'm turning away from him. So that's the sidebar of obedience. So back to the scriptures, okay. What we're really talking about, remember, is the scriptures about, about walking with the Lord, constantly aware of his presence. So here's Romans 5. and The New Testament is just full of passages like this. I just was thinking about this particular one kind of thing i've read so many times so here's romans 5 verses 1 through 5 uh, someone has said as romans is the closest thing we have to a systematic theology you know paul had not been to rome he's writing to these people he wants to lay out you know the whole kind of uh you know theology of the new covenant he, he lays it out and puts it in this letter to them so verse 5 or chapter 5 verses one through five it starts with these with these wonderful theological truths. it says, therefore you know chapters one through four, therefore you know everything i 've said before, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, so redemption, where we stand with him through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand so he begins with these Wonderful theological truths of of our salvation, our justification. Then, next couple of verses move into, he goes into daily life. And, so not only do we have this theological position, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now he's getting down to the nitty-gritty of daily life. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance Endurance produces character. Character produces hope, And hope does not put us to shame because, okay, theology, daily life, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, He's saying all these things, you know, these theological truths, this daily life. And, and why do we know that, that we have hope? Why do we know what, why our sufferings? You know, why all these things? Because we've experienced this outpouring of love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So when Paul wrote this, he, he thought the Romans would, would get it. He, he thought they'd understand it. Either, either they already had experienced this or he knew that when they got saved, this would, this would hit them. But this, was, this is a reality that this, the theological truths are the foundation, our daily life. We, can, we have this hope. Ultimately, we, we know these things in the, in the deepest part of us because love has been poured into our hearts. A few more verses in Romans, just because it's great stuff. Romans 8, uh, in the midst of this, I won't read the whole thing, but Romans 8:15 through 17, that uh, the spirit of adoption cries, Abba, Father, or apparently it's, it's a familiar, it's like Daddy. It's a relationship scripture term. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, children and heirs. And fellow heirs with Christ, so so the Spirit is bearing witness that that our our normal Christian life is experiencing this this love that's been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and and this witness, this continual witness, you know. And I don't get the sense that this is like you know something that happened twenty years ago, but but day by day by day, uh, you know, you didn't get the Spirit of slavery; you've got a a Spirit of of adoption. This is Day by day, his spirit is continually bearing witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. Ephesians. This was like uh, this is like the the prayer this morning, that Dave uh, read from Philippians, um, similar to that. You know, so another one of these things. Paul praying for the churches. So he's going along, you being praying that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So just, you know, how many times I've read through that and just go, okay, yeah, now yeah, moving along, next verse, you know, kind of thing. But, but I mean, what, what would the, um, you know, what does the answer to that prayer look like? You know, the, the answer uh, to that prayer is a group of people that uh, don't just have intellectual assent to the truth. You know, I've really got a satisfactory worldview now. You know, I've I've got this figured out. You know, I've i you know I've got this sorted out now. I've got a comprehensive solution to life's problems, and I have a you know that kind of thing. He's, you know, th- this this answer to this prayer is a is a group of people who know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I don't I don't know what that means except that it, it's 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 more than intellectual. It's more than than just okay, yeah, I know that's true. It's it's something that's that's in the heart that's that's they're, we're they're filled with the fullness of God. So now I I'm, I'm I'm not elevating and I don't I don't want to be communicating anything about elevating experience above truth. Um, but I have to remind myself that The reason that truth matters is that it's because it's truth about a person. That's why it matters. If it's philosophy, if it's just if it's quote mere theology in terms of, you know, this Paul writes about this and and other New Testament writers, you know, talk about just wrangling about words, you know, if it's just that kind of thing, it doesn't matter. But but truth, truth is crucial because it's truth about a person. It's about how that person, it's about how God Himself deals with us and how He deals with the universe. So so that's why it's important. That that's why truth, that's why right doctrine is crucial, because it's not just theory. It's it's an understanding about a person and and who he is. So so I, I just I think of the early church. You know, I keep going back to that. You know, this is what this was so real to them, just as it's real to us. You know, this is This is the pearl of great price. You know, this is this is the treasure that you find in a field, as Jesus describes, and and you find it. And so you sell everything that you have that, you know, not only to have a satisfactory worldview, but to have the love of Christ poured into our hearts. Well, so scriptures, you know, we could go on and on, but the scriptures have made that very clear. There's also the, the experience of other believers the testimony of believers uh, through the ages, really. Um, and so I was trying to think about how, how do you get at this? You know, there are a lot of biographies and this sort of thing, but, but just sort of a, a, a quick glimpse. You know, we, we sing some hymns that are uh, recent. Some of them are, are older. So let's look at a few of the, the songs. Most of these started as poems and written through, written through the years. So this is from uh, 1130, roughly about 1130 A.D., you know, sometime in the Middle Ages, 12th century, translated from the Latin. And so, of course, an English author put it in this form. Jesus, the very thought of thee fills us with sweet delight, but but sweeter far thy face to view and rest within your light. O hope of every contrite heart, O joy of all the meek, to all who fall, how kind thou art. How good to those who seek in this last verse. But what to those who find? Ah, this no, nor tongue, nor pen can show the love of Jesus. What it is, none but his loved ones know. About the same time, perhaps the same author said, Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts, thou fount of life, thou light of men, from the best bliss that earth imparts, we turn unfilled. To thee again, 12th century. 16, about 1653, Jesus, priceless treasure, source of purest pleasure, friend most sure and true. Long my heart was burning, fainting much and yearning, thirsting, Lord, for you. Yours I am, O spotless lamb, so I will let nothing hide you, seek no joy beside you. More familiar to us, but this is this is about 1750. The thing we sing, these verses that we sing. Uh, I don't know every you know, every couple of months we we sing this. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart. do not you love that phrase? Tune tune my heart. Here I am, kind of haywire and out of tune and discord, you know. And Lord, tune tune my heart, tune my heart to to sing thy grace you know if you get two strings on a guitar violin or something and they're out of tune you know it first sounds very discordant but then as they get closer this harmonic kind of beat you you can hear it you can you can hear the overtones are interacting and there's this there's sort of a beat in the overtones and then as you get them close together that that sound of beat just sort of stills and they're the same tone it's the, the same idea tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of God's unchanging love. 1750. A few years later, this is John Newton, writer of Amazing Grace, wrote several other songs. Poems, Jesus, my shepherd, brother, friend, my prophet, priest, and king, my Lord, my life, my way, my end, accept the praise I bring. One a uh, little closer here, about 1900. <clears throat> perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending, bring from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love, perfect submission, all is at rest. I, and my Savior, am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love, you know. And, of course, I think you probably know this is Fanny Crosby, who was blind, you know. I thought, okay, you know. In fact, someone said to her, you know, you know, didn't it bother you kind of? Here you are a believer and you're blind. I mean, is that fair? You know, and she said, well, you know, what that means is the first face I ever see is going to be Jesus. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that, you know. So, um, so I, I remember growing up in, well, I did, I did grow up in church and, and, and all these hymns. And somewhere along the way, I don't know, I started paying attention to the things I was singing every week or, the, you know, was in the book in front of me. I don't know if you can identify with this, but I'm reading these hymns and I think, who are these people? You know, what is this? Tune my heart to sing your grace. You know, and 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 what's with this visions of rapture now burst on my sight? I mean, really, you know what? Really, you know, and I'm sitting in my old Presbyterian church, you know, and you know, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. This is just this is not happening. I'm not getting visions of rapture. I'm just reading Fanny Crosby's words. You know, we're we're doing this. You know. And so, but, you know, so we'll grant them some poetic license. But, but, you know, this didn't come from nowhere. You know, these people had an experience with, with the Lord. Now, um, here's yet another sidebar. I hope this is okay, this tangent here. Uh, something about, about words. Um, you know, this experience, and, you know, and I'm struggling to try to describe it, but this, this experience of the nearness of God, uh, an awareness of him, a sense of his closeness, Uh, This this practice of his presence, these kind of things, you know, this is a this is a spirit. This is a spiritual reality. This is a spiritual thing. And it's uh, it's not easy to talk about. It's not easy to describe. And it doesn't lend itself. um, I mean, we have a physical frame of reference. You know, our, our, our frame of reference is the physical world. The relationships that we know are the relationships that we have with people. So, so how do we even talk about this kind of relationship, you know, with, with the Lord? And I think that uh, it, it both, sometimes it obscures. The, la- the, the language you use, we use both elimi- uh, illuminates it and obscures it at, at times. So language has its limitations. And, and maybe it helps you, helps me to, kind of, to realize that. Now, God invented language. If you've ever thought about that, you know, when I'm, I teach linguistics occasionally and, and uh you know, it's interesting looking at these things because we study language, I tell my students, you know, okay, hey, you're studying this and no, you don't want to know about these phonetic rules, that sort of thing, but just think, you know, God invented this, not not us. So God is the one who said, let there be light. So he's the one who set up grammar and structure and these kind of things. So so I assume you know, he invented this thing. He invented language. He invented this system. So he seems to have made it so that it can can actually convey spiritual truth. And that and that is the case. But but it does have its limitations. You were familiar with this idea that that some things are, are too deep for words. Um, The scriptures we've talked about, the scriptures use words to describe this, things like walk with God, to dwell, dwell in his courts. interesting looking at through the Psalms, Psalm 27 says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Psalm 65, blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. Psalm 73 talks about being confused and I can't understand how the wicked are prospering until I went into the sanctuary. Now, so read those, and I thought, well, he did not really mean I want to live the rest of my life in this part of the temple. What he's really saying is, in those days, that's where the presence of the Lord was. And so, he'll be there. So, uh, and then we use, you know, the poems and writers use these other words. Talk about, you know, leaning on the everlasting arms, in his arms, purest pleasure, delight, sweet, these kinds of words. And so, when we try to describe spiritual reality with this frame of reference in the physical world. There there are potential pitfalls here. We don't have time to get into this, but this is worth considering. Um, it's important for us to stay close to Scripture. I would, If you're interested in this, there's a, a great, it's just a three-minute interview clip on YouTube with Matt Redman, who's written many wonderful worship songs. We sing quite a few of his songs, and it's an interview, and, and he's British, and and the title is something like uh, worship songs aren't for the blokes. I guess a bloke is just an ordinary kind of guy, you know. And this guy is saying, so there I am in church. I'm supposed to raise my hands to say, oh, Jesus, Jesus, I love you. I love you. How I love you. And the guy is saying, I'm, I'm just not comfortable with that. You know? I don't just, you know, Jesus, here I am. There's Jesus. I love, you know. Anyway, so Matt Redman talks about some of the pitfalls of this kind of romantic sort of imagery that, that we get into. So. Language has its, its limitations in this. So, want to move along quickly here? So, um, you can pursue that on your own. Brother Lawrence, where we started with this whole thing. You've, do you know the book, Practice of the Presence of God? A lot of you know this. A lot of hands out there. Um, he was a French monk in the 1600s. And there are notes from conversations with him. Uh, that uh, he, he wrote some letters, apparently had some conversations. People look, no, took notes on the on the conversations. If you're a computer kind of person, you can get a free copy, Project Gutenberg. Have you heard of this? All this free e-book, e-text, www.gutenberg.org. So that's where I got my copy. Couldn't find my old paperback uh, copy of this, um, the text of Brother Lawrence. Uh, if you go to Amazon, there are a bunch of them. You know, there are... <laughs> bunch of editions of of this. You know, this is just what I have fourteen of them here, something like that. Everybody's got their own deal with Brother Lawrence, you know, and their teaching series and the whole kind of thing. Interesting, you know, as I've kind of been immersed in this book of his and then to see all the covers of these, you know, and you you know, you got your cathedral, you got your cloisters, you got your kind of manly looking monk there, you know, you got your, you know, all this kind of stuff. But it occurred to me the one that is Closest. The, those of you who know the book, which one might seem like the most appropriate cover? Any ideas? Yeah, that's. I, I would vote for the last one too, uh, the 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 pan and the spoon because his point was that it's not. You don't li- have to live in a in a cloister. It's not a cathedral kind of thing. It's not a you know galaxy and sunrise kind of thing it's like it's in the dailiness of life he worked in the kitchen and he talked about being among the pots and pans and these things So just quickly um, I'm just because of time you've, you've been very patient out there but we're gonna wrap it up here just a few quotes of his I'll, I'll skip through some of these but here's a key one he says and I make it my business only to persevere in his holy presence wherein I keep myself by a simple attention and a general fond regard for God, which I may call an actual presence of God, or to speak better, an habitual, silent, and secret conversation of the soul with God, which often causes me joys and raptures inwardly and sometimes also outwardly so great that I'm forced to use means to moderate them and to prevent their appearance to others. This is what he's saying. He is carrying on a habitual, silent, and secret conversation of the soul with God, and uh, you know, he goes on to say I mean, in that in that rest of that quote. And sometimes it's just like you know, it's like this is just sort of going on inside him. Every now and then, it just kind of he says. Sometimes I have to. How does he say it? Um, uh, where is it? so great that I'm forced to use means to moderate them and prevent their... You know, sometimes he just gets out of control. He just gets happy or something. I don't know what he, he did, you know. But sometimes it would just like erupt, you know. I don't know if it was just a spontaneous, you know, he's, you know that kind of thing or what he wanted to do. But, but, but he's carrying on this continual conversation with God. Let me just point out the second sentence here, that there needed neither art nor science going to God, but only a heart resolutely determined to apply itself to nothing but Him. There are no techniques here. You know, this is, this is not a, okay, here are the three steps to experience the presence of God in your life, you know. And I guess that's what I appreciate about this book because he's just saying, you know, is, this is individual. This is the most personal relationship of your life, of your entire existence, for, for, for you and me for eternity. And it will be as different for each of us as you and I are different from one another. Now, it's are scriptural guidelines. We understand the character of God, but, but there's, no, there's no trick here. There's no, there's no secret. You know, there's no, here are the, the three, three easy steps. Do one, two, three, and you'll get there. I'm going to kind of go through these quotes. You can look them up. They're great. But here's what he says. He says, it's possible to live with this sense of God's presence, And there are no secrets. There are no special techniques, you know, to make this happen. What we do, we yield our work to him and our failures. And, you know, if there's one thing this book taught me, he simply says when he, Brother Lawrence says, when he fails, he says, God, basically, I did it again, and I'll I'll do it every time unless you help me. And then he gets back to work. And that's it. He doesn't beat himself up over it. He doesn't, he doesn't dwell on himself. He just says, well, I'm, I'm dust. God help me and, and moves on. We yield our work to him. We yield our failures to him. It's simple. I mean, it's not easy, though, and I, I'm not going to pretend it is. You know, it's going to cost you exactly everything. So, um, and finally, it's a matter of faith, not emotions. And I want to kind of finish with with this this idea that it's not just it's not just a feeling. It's not just oh, I just I feel God. I feel God in this place. I feel God in my home. I feel God in the car I'm driving. You know, sometimes we do. You know, but that's not the point. This this is this is a walk. This is a walk of faith. And and probably one of my most common prayers just you know is, "Good morning, Lord. Uh, thank you for this opportunity to walk by faith because I don't feel a thing." you know, or this thing I'm called to do, you know, I'm supposed to go do this thing. Lord, I I don't have much enthusiasm for this. Thank you for this opportunity to walk by faith, and I believe you're going to empower me, give me grace to do this, to be a parent, to do my work, to do whatever it is I'm supposed to do. Here I am. And so it's not, But you know, I think we'll find that our emotions kind of catch up with us when we when we do these things. So it's a matter of faith, it's not a matter of, of emotions Let's see where am i here so what's the outcome of such a life uh, takes us back to the beginning my first thought this 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 life of a sense of the, the nearness of god the reality of god the closeness of god it leads naturally to a sense of expectancy I mean, he's real. He's he's here. He's he's in me. He's with me. He's right here, and so I expect moment by moment to hear from him because it's just. I mean, here he is. How how could I not hear? You know, I expect to be led. I expect to be guided. I expect to be comforted. I expect him to 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 help me to do the things I need to do. Um, I expect him to move in situations like this. So so it's it's just a natural sense of expectancy and, and just think what happens when each of us through the week when we live like this when we live with this this sense of the, just the 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 nearness of god moment by moment day by day and then we all come together in the same room on sunday morning you know it's it will be very interesting you know When we get together and we don't have to make something happen. It's not like not like we earn these things or earn the gifts of the spirit moving among us or or God healing people among us. We we didn't earn it. We didn't we didn't do the right things all week long. So therefore, it's going to happen. It's just natural. We can expect God to to move to glorify himself and to meet needs because we're we're just we're just listening. We're, We're aware we're walking with him. We're we're aware of his presence and we bring his presence into these situations so this is a great benefit to us um, I have to say that the couple of weeks I've spent just thinking about this topic have been some of the best weeks I've had in a long time just because if I'm gonna practice what I'm preaching well I better better work on this you know and it's good you know and it'll I mean guarantee it'll it's good for you but you know it's good for the people around you too. it's good for your children. I mean, God help us as parents, you know, (laughs) you know, can, you know, Lord help my children to turn out right. God help me, you know, that kind of thing, you know, help me not to do something stupid, you know, whatever it may be, you know, and in our work, these kind of things. So it's not just for you. It does start with us. It's personal, but the, the fruit, the overflow of it benefits everybody around you benefits your family. It benefits your coworkers. It, it benefits your, your church As God equips us to serve could we stand could we finish with a prayer is that okay i hope um you know have you ever done the uh you know lots of uh you know this the sinner's prayer (laughs) you know i thought you don't have to do this just if you want to but we're going to do something i don't know what this is a disciples kind of prayer or something but uh, let's just if you if you feel comfortable with this pray after me Lord, thank you for saving me, for choosing me and drawing me to you. I don't understand it, but you want me to walk with you. Call me to you once again. Give me grace to respond. I turn my heart toward you. I turn my will toward you. I want to lay aside distractions. I want to lay aside wrong ideas about who you are. I want to rise to your call to live in your presence, to abide in your love, that you may be glorified. Amen. I guess you can be seated. (laughs)